We're going to be diving deep into Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 to begin with. I have everything up here uh, for you because we're going to be talking about a particular topic tonight that uh, it, it, it's a little testy, you know, and, and, and because of my age, right, I love when, when, I, when I talk about something that's a little tough, I love to use the most scripture that I could possibly, like, so, so you could, <laughs> I was this young guy, you know, talking to me like that, well, this is the Bible, right, so I tend to put it up there, it's not that bad, but, you know, we're going to be talking about judging others tonight. We're going to be talking about judging um, and, and Christian judgment, right? We're going, to be, we're going to be talking about that. And it's actually awesome. It's really awesome the way the Lord calls us to judge, right? And it's amazing to see how, how God judges us, right? And it, it, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, but since it is a, a, a touchy subject, um, a lot of scripture for you tonight. So I'm going to have a bunch of scripture up here for you. Raise your hand if you need a Bible. Raise it nice and high. Uh, raise, oh, you know, Wednesday night. Look, they... they they're on it. Anybody? Anybody need a Bible? You see, Wednesday night. You guys are here for a reason, you know? <laughs> you guys are here for a reason. Sunday morning, there may be many reasons, like my wife dragged me here, right? But, but on a Wednesday night, you are here because you want to read the Bible, right? So I love that. Romans chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. I'll be reading, follow along with me. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man. Whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impotent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So we'll start there and we'll continue through Romans 2 um, tonight. So, But why don't you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we are... We are privileged to be in your presence, Jesus. I pray that your holy word would not return void in our hearts. Uh, God, that uh, as we study your word, as we extrapolate it, as we, as we look and we digest the words that you have to say, God, that it would be nourishment for our souls. Father, I pray that what is said tonight would not merely be philosophical or theoretical, God, but it would go straight to the practical sense and how it changes our hearts, Lord. We know that without you, Holy Spirit, there is no interpretation of Scripture. So we pray that you would be thick in this room, Lord. That you would be with us and you would abide with us. Lord, we are uh, eagerly awaiting to see what you have to say tonight. And uh, I'm, I, I, allow me to learn. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, guys. So Romans chapter 2. Paul uh, just got done in Romans chapter one in the, in the passage prior to this, he just got done actually giving a laundry list of sins. He does this in Romans chapter one. He gives this huge laundry list of sins. He gives this incredible, like this, this big gigantic list of sins committed by man. And he does so as many times in scripture, there are a lot of sins that are just listed, Right? And then it'll, at the end of it, it'll say, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
There's a lot of lists like that. And that's actually the list of which a lot of people get like, well, see, they're not allowed in heaven. They're not allowed in heaven. They're not allowed in heaven. But if you look closely at these types of pieces of scripture, it's actually not meant to condemn us, but to reveal the very fact that we are imperfect, all of us, in some way, shape, or form. That's what these lists of sins are meant to do. They kind of, to, to clump us all into one category, right? I, I, I say this very often. I'm not the only one who says this, but there's only two different types of people in this world, right? There's only two different types of people in, in the entire universe. There's sinners and Jesus, right? There's only two different camps, right? There's sinners and there's Jesus. And if you're not Jesus, then you must be a sinner, right? There's only two types of people. And Paul in Romans chapter one, and in many different portions of scripture kind of says that. And Paul knows, as does every pastor, that people have a hard time having a healthy view of their sin. People have a very hard time of viewing their sin in a healthy and and, and, and good manner. When we are face-to-face with our imperfections, we tend to error in one of two ways, right? And Paul, as every pastor, kind of knows this, that we distort our own imperfection in some way. There's, there's, there's a few of us, when, we are come, when we're confronted with our sins, when we're confronted with our imperfections, we choose to wear our sin as our identities, we, cho- we choose to wear our sins as clothes, saying, I'm a screw up. I'll never get better. I'm a failure, right? We wear these sins on our sleeves, right? I'm an alcoholic. I'm a drug addict, right? I'm an adulterer. We, we wear these sins as our identities. We, do, we, we decide that they define us. And this, just as much as any other sin, this ignores the identity that God has placed upon you. It's a very unhealthy way of viewing your sin. I'm a failure. I'm a screw up. I'll never get better. It's an unhealthy way to view your sin because it ignores the identity that God has placed upon you. We see in Zephaniah 3.17, it says, the Lord, your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt you over. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful thinking that, that when God looks at you, when God looks at you, even in your failures, even in your shortcomings, even in your sin, he looks over you and he sings over you, that he rejoices over you. That he doesn't identify you by your mistakes, but he looks at you and he exalts you. We see this in Ephesians chapter one, verse uh, four through seven. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespass according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, that we are adopted. He says that we are chosen, that we are redeemed. All of these labels that Christ has put upon us, you are redeemed, you are chosen, you are beloved, you are redeemed. 
This is the identity that God has placed you. So many people, when coming face to face with their sin, decide that it is what defines them as people. But God would say that you are not defined by the sins that you have committed or the shortcomings or the imperfections of your character, but you are defined by what Christ has done for you. That is your identity, redeemed, chosen, blessed. And so that, that, is, that is the answer for those that decide that they want to feel sorry for themselves and wear their sins. However, there's also another camp of people. There's, there's another way that people in an unhealthy manner view their sin. When they come face to face with their sin, they choose not to see sin as something that they struggle with, rather something that other people struggle with, right? Oh, that's not me, that's them, right? That's not my sin, that's their sin. Chuck Smith for those, those of you know Chuck Smith, the founder of the Calvary Chapel movement, he said this. He said this in one of his commentaries. He said, you know, it is amazing how horrible our sins look when someone else is doing them. Let someone else commit my sins and I just get all kinds of righteous indignation. I can tell you why I did it why I did the sin, and I can justify it for myself. But it is horrible when someone else does it. It is terrible. Be careful, O man, whoever you are who judges. You are only condemning yourself because you are testifying to the fact that you know better when you have done those things yourself. Be careful, O man. Be careful. And this is what Paul means when he says, therefore you are inexcusable, O man or woman, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge, practice the same things. Practice the same things. Where many times when we are faced with our own sin face to face, it's usually in the form of somebody we're angry at. If you've ever been in an argument because they're just so stubborn and thick-headed. But in reality, that you're also stubborn and thick-headed, right? We, 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 we project our sins onto other people so often because it's easier to condemn and to uh, seek conviction for someone who's committing the sins that we commit ourselves. It's easier for them to deal with it than for us to deal with it. We all have these types of perceptions, right? We have biases that keep us from seeing the truth. We have these bias bends in our nature. Since we are born, since we were born, since all of us were born, we have been inundated with stories, opinions, prejudices, political bends, preferences. Ever since we were born, we, we don't really, we've been taking in information like crazy, Right? And everybody, since they were born, has kind of been taking in different information, right? We've been forming different biases. We've been forming different perceptions, right? And as we're taking in all this information since we were kids until now, since we've been taking in all this information, we've been forming all of our opinions, right? We've been forming opinions. And what's interesting is that the only opinion that's ever right is yours, right? The only opinion that's ever correct, the only opinion that isn't biased is ours, right? 
Apparently, everyone else has bias except for us, right? And do you know how I know that all of us do this? Do you know how I know that all of us have some sort of bias? That even now, when I'm talking about people with bias, we're thinking about other people with bias, right? It's always, it's always the other side. It's always the other side. And it's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy how it is always... It is always someone else who's biased and opinionated. And it's us that have the facts, right? We're the ones who stand for truth, right? Be careful, oh man, you who judge. Be careful. For us projecting onto other people their sins and their shortcomings, we, we are essentially saying one of two things. One, one, I know that this is bad, and it's wrong that you do it, but it's not wrong if I do it. Or we're saying, I know that it is bad, and I don't do it, and you do. But in reality, we usually do it, right? We usually do it. And that's actually, in the book of Romans, in its context, what uh, the Jewish Christians were doing to the Gentile Christians. You guys know that? The Jewish Christians were doing this to the Gentile Christians. Excuse me, sorry. They were condemning them and holding them to a standard that they themselves were not willing to meet. They were holding them to a higher standard. The Jewish Christians who have been with the word of God their entire lives. Some of us can relate to that, right? Those of you that grew up in the church and have been around for a really long time. We've been around it, right? We've been around the word of God. We've been around tradition. We've been around ceremonies. We've been around proper uh, conduct. And the Jewish Christians at this time, not just Jews, but Jewish Christians, people who were once Jews, once Pharisees, now came to Christ, were now projecting onto the Gentiles who became Christians and telling them that they were doing all of these things wrong. Right? Because they had the knowledge of what was good and what wasn't good. The Gentile Christians, they didn't grow up with any sense of morality. They didn't grow up with any sense of this is God's character, this isn't God's character. All they know is that Jesus saved them at this point. That's all they know, right? And that's enough right now. And, and, and so the Jewish, why are you doing this, right? Because, because on a fresh new believer, someone who didn't grow up in the context of the church, it's much, much easier to kind of see sin in its rawest form. Other, other than the religious sins, which have been masked, right? As you go to church and as you grow up in church, you kind of learn how to mask your sin pretty well. You know, you kind of learn how to mask gossip as prayer, Right? You know, you learn, you learn how to, you learn how to mask confrontation as rebuking, right? You, you learn how to mask certain things. You learn how to kind of, uh, you learn how to twist it and to make it sound religious, right? And good. Maybe not you, but me, right? I definitely do that. I definitely do that. And it is actually that, which is kind of the conflict that Paul is addressing. And it says in verse two, but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. What I believe Paul is saying here, and I can't say this for a fact, I, I, I believe Paul is saying this from my interpretation of scripture. Paul is saying here that God does not judge according to perceptions, but according to truth. 
God does not judge according to perception and bias, but according to truth. What is true, not what is perceived. What is true, not what is perceived. Because I think in our finite human imperfect minds, we tend to skew and mesh and mix our perceptions and what is true, right? That just because we observe something automatically makes it true about the person. What we see outwardly on somebody is automatically their identity, right? Right? We tend to project these things. And it says in Jeremiah 17 verse 10, I the Lord search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. And so what God is saying here is that when it comes to judging the actions of man, God takes what's in the heart into account. Right? Because we, when we're judging others and when we're perceiving things, we only have our perceptions. We cannot peer into the hearts of men and women. We cannot do that. When we're judging others, we can't look into their heart, right? We can't see their heart. We can't see their past either, huh? We can't see their past. We can't see their struggles. We can't see the totality of who they are. However, God, when he judges their fruits of their deeds, when he judges what they do, he takes the heart into account. He actually looks at the heart. And it says, do you think this, O oh man? Do you think this, O oh man? You who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God. So Paul's talking about hypocrites, isn't he? Right? He's talking about hypocrites. Right? And you know the saying, like, when people are like, oh, the church is full of hypocrites, what do you say? Yeah, join in. Right? You know, oh, the church is full of hypocrites. I'm not going to go. Well, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> you know, we're all hypocrites. So are you, right? Come on in, right? The church is full of hypocrites, right? The world is full of hypocrites. Why? We're all hypocrites. But isn't it funny? Everyone else is a hypocrite. Yeah? It's always the other person that's the hypocrite. Yeah? It's never us, is it? You know, it's always them. It's always them. Because we're perfect. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Paul calls them further out here. He calls them out further by asking them an honest question. Do you think that you're above all this? It is essentially what Paul's saying. Do you think you're above all this? Do you think you're above the messiness of life? Do you think that somehow by pointing out the faults of others that you are escaping, you're escaping your faults, right? Do you think that by pointing the finger that way, that you are somehow diverting God's finger pointing at you? Do you somehow think that by judging others, you are escaping something? Do you think you're above the mess? Do you think you've risen beyond sin? Do you think, do you think you've ascended on high? Do you think you're beyond it? Do you think you're past it? Do you think you're above it? Is what Paul is saying. Do you think, oh man, that you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you'll escape? Do you really think that by pointing it out in others, you're somehow escaping judgment? And do you know what, guys? I, I, I'll be honest with you. The more insecure I am, right, about my own sins and my own shortcomings, 
I will point out other people's sins. And it's, it's something crazy that my heart does because in order to ignore what's going on in my own heart so I could take care of it and give it to the Lord, I will point out other people's sins because somehow it makes me feel like I'm better, right? It's me tricking myself. It's my heart tricking myself. And it says in verse four, Paul goes on to ask another question. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Some of you might uh, have another version where it says, don't you know that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance? I'll tell you something about myself, brothers and sisters. As I've said before, I'm the most judgmental person. I'm the most judgmental person when I've not been regularly contemplating God's goodness and patience towards my life. When I have not considered the depths of the gospel and what God has saved me from, I am the most judgmental. When I have not considered my depravity, the own sins of my heart, that's when everybody looks ugliest. And we might say, well, I just want them to be conformed to the character of Christ. They're my brother, my sister. Can I point out their sins? Yeah, of course. Great. First. First, though. Before you try and conform anybody else's character towards the character of Christ, let's look at our own, right? As Jesus would say, let's, let's take the speck out of our own eye before we take the plank out of others, right? Goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering. Goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering. So, so if we are so stoked on people being conformed to the image of Christ and we want people to have the character of Christ, shouldn't we, shouldn't we ourselves conform our characters to Christ, right? And we see that God's character, Christ's character is goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering. Goodness, which is just directly translated as kindness. Forbearance, which means to hold back. Hold back your tongue. Hold back your wrath. As God restrains his displeasure towards us, we ought to restrain our displeasure towards others. And long-suffering, that, that means to be slow to anger. Slow to wrath. That we ought to be slow to such things. If, if we have such a short fuse, if we have such a short fuse and we haven't contemplated what actually makes us angry, it's usually a sign that there's something wrong with our hearts and not theirs. We have so much anger and bitterness towards some people, towards some, uh, maybe some uh, public figures or, or, or whoever it may be. But many of us haven't taken time to contemplate, oh, why don't I like them, Right? Why? Why? Guys, do you understand? Do you understand how much we have wronged God? You know? How much we have wronged God? How we continually refuse daily to even speak to him? And I, am, I am so guilty of this. If, if, if Christianity, oh, it's not religion, it's relationship, right? We've heard that, right? It's both, okay? 
It's not religion, it's relationship. No, it, it, it's both. Right? It's a religious relationship. Okay? Hey, but, but if it really is a relationship, if Christianity is a relationship, I will tell you this, I will tell you this, God should have dumped me long ago. Right? He should have dumped me a long time ago. Right? Because I will continually and daily just ignore him. Just flat out ignore him. And when I'm not ignoring him, I'm doing something he hates. And when I'm not doing something he hates, I'm just kind of rebelling against him. Just straight up. And so I, I, I do so much things that should instill this anger in God, this judgment in God. Yet he decides to show forbearance and long suffering. Where he restrains his, restrains his judgment towards me. Where he is slow to anger towards me. Albert Barnes said this. I, I love his commentary on human wickedness. He said that human wickedness is most shown by this fact. Nor is there more a decisive proof of the wickedness of the human heart. That this disposition to abuse the goodness of God. And because he shows kindness and forbearance to take occasion to plunge deeper into sin, to forget his mercy, and to provoke him to anger. That the depravity of our hearts, guys, is most exemplified in the fact that even though God shows us mercy, we still plunge into sin, right? That's, that's, you know what, the wickedness of the human heart, yeah, it's, all right, so we have drugs, we have war, we have all of these things, right? We have all these things that are clearly wicked. But do you know what I would say is most wicked and what Albert Barnes would argue, the most wicked thing is that even after we do these things and God shows us mercy, we do them again, right? Wickedness is exemplified in the fact that we just take advantage of mercy, And this isn't meant to come down on you or to condemn you. It's meant to just say, 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Some of the most judgmental people I know are also really wanting revelation to happen, right? Some of the most judgmental people I know are like, oh, I hope Jesus comes now, right? And you know what? Yes, I want Jesus to come too. I want to, I want to be in the arms of my, of my Abba, right? I, I want to be face to face with Christ. But do you know what the character of Christ says? In 2 Peter chapter 3, the character of Christ says, no, 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 I'm not coming yet because I still want people to repent. I'm not showing judgment on the earth right now. I am being slow to anger because I want more people by my side. And so be careful, O oh Christian, to say, oh, you, Jesus needs to come now. It's so wicked. And, and God's like, yes, it's wicked. That's why I haven't come yet. I want more people to come to me. Some people are like, oh, God, why are you so slow to come and, and enact judgment? And he's saying, I don't want anyone to perish. I want more people to come to repentance. I want more. Guys, God is so patient with us. He's so patient. This does not mean that we ignore sins of our brothers and sisters though, right? Because, because yes, God, God is slow to anger and he's slow to wrath, but it doesn't mean he ignores them, huh? It doesn't mean he just ignores sin like, you know what, I'll look past it, I didn't see anything, right? He doesn't say that. He doesn't kind of like wink and say, no, it's just between you and me, right? He doesn't, he doesn't do that, right? 
he, he, he's not like, you know what I mean? He's not like that uncle, that sketchy uncle that lets you play with fireworks, you know? Like, we all had that uncle, right? We all had that uncle that let you do the most dangerous things, right? When, when, behind your parents' backs, right? Some of you are that uncle, right? God's not like that, right? God's not like that. He doesn't just turn a blind eye to our sin. He looks at it, right? He looks at it. He actually pays attention to it, right? But he does so with goodness and forbearance and patience, And we see that in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 through 3, where it says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught up in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Right? Because isn't it easy to mistake judgment for helping, you know? Aren't those two kind of awkward balance, right? What's the difference between a cultural observation saying, well, do you know what? Our, our world is messed up. What? How can we do something to help it, right? And then, man, our culture is messed up. They're all messed up, right? Where, where's, where's the line, right? Where's the line when your friend, when your brother and sister are, are caught in deep sin? Where's the line between you saying like, hey, I want to help you and hey, I'm condemning you, you know? Where's the difference when you're pointing out someone's sin? What is it? Is it helping or judging? You know, where's, where, where is that? Where's that line, right? Where is that line? It's so easy to mistake judgment for helping. It's hard to walk that line between, I don't want to judge them, but what they are doing is seriously wrong, right? I don't want to judge them, but what they're doing isn't okay. Where is that line? The Jews that Paul were addressing had the same exact problem, right? Because you got to believe that, I mean, I, I, I know the Bible, you know, reading the Bible sometimes makes us think that Jews are like the bad guys all the time, right? But that's not true. Obviously, the 12 apostles, right, are a perfect example of that that wasn't true, right? And, and so you have to believe that some, knowing righteousness, you know, had some sort of like good intention in pointing out the Gentiles' sins, yeah? We have to assume that, that not everyone is corrupt and bad, right? What a miserable existence that is, right? Just always thinking people are, are malicious, right? It says this in Romans 2, Paul further says, Romans 2, 17. It says, indeed you are called a Jew, and rest on the law, and make your boast in God, and know his will, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, and an instructor to the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. Right? They judged in the name of being a guide to the blind, right? I just want them to see, right? A light to the dark. They need to come out of darkness. A teacher to children. They don't know any better. How are they going to know unless I teach them, right? So, so the Jews are doing all of this. So how can you tell if you're being a hypocrite and if your intentions are pure? Because you might be like them. I'm like them. I'm like the Jews in this portion of scripture where I, th- like, I, I just want to be a light in the dark place, right? I just want to teach people that don't know 
I just want to be a guide to the blind, right? So, so where's the line between hypocrite and teacher? Where's the line? Verse 21. You therefore who teach another, do you teach yourself? You who preach that man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. What Paul is saying here, what Paul is saying here, is that have you done, have you done your due diligence to assure that you are pursuing God before you tell others how to do so? Have you assured that your pursuit of God is pure and according to scripture before you look onto others and you say, you need to correct this. Now, are we going to be in a perfect place ever? No, right? So, so if you're waiting, well, I mean, my brother, he's, he's struggling with his porn addiction or he's, he's, you know, he's committing adultery in his heart. Uh, but but I, I, I struggle with lust, right? Uh, am I not allowed to then tell them that they should stop it, right? Am I not allowed to tell them? That's not what Paul said. Are you pursuing God? Let's think of it this way. Are you trying to push people ahead of you Right? Or are you walking alongside them? As it says in Galatians chapter 6, are you bearing one another's burdens? Right? So there's a difference between being a hypocrite and saying, hey, you need to correct this, and then bearing one another's burdens. And I think sometimes when we read Galatians chapter 6, we think that it means, oh, well, uh, I ought to bear everybody's burdens around me, right? Their burden is my burden. That's not what it says. Is it? It says that bear one another's burdens, right? Meaning that there's reciprocation, isn't there? There's reciprocation. Meaning that when you are struggling, you need someone to help you. And when they are struggling, they need you to help them. Meaning this, you say, hello, Mr. Sinner. I'm Mr. Sinner. Pleasure to meet you. Let's go pursue God together, right? Instead of saying, hey, you, Mr. Sinner, you need to stop, right? It's saying, hey, listen, you're messed up. I'm messed up. Why don't we try and be less messed up together, right? It is, it is a pursuit of bearing one another's burdens, not just, and hey, I, I, I've tried this before. I'm trying to do it less and less of just taking people's burdens, putting it on my shoulder and just, you know, just slowly being slowed down towards the point where I don't even know who Jesus is anymore because I can't see him because there's too many bodies on top of me, right? Bearing one another's loads means that we need to share one another's loads. One thing I thought about being a youth pastor meant that I just need to bear the entire burden of my youth kids on my shoulders. I found out that what is most effective is in my discipleship with them, I let them know my struggles too. And they pray for me. They teach me. They help me. I help them. 
bearing one another's burdens, right? Bearing one another's burdens in whatever capacity we can. Have you done your due diligence to assure that you are pursuing God before you tell others how to do so? And in your pursuit of telling other people how they ought to pursue God, are you partnering with them or are you condemning them? It says this, and don't get all hung up on the circumcision thing. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor circumcision, that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And a circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. So listen, Paul is trying to make a point. And, 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 and you know what? Circumcision is just everywhere, right? It tends to, it's just distracting, right? Try teaching this to junior hires, right? Circumcision is just distracting. So let me, let me break it down into kind of the layman's terms right now. Which is better? The man who is not very culturally savvy and he's kind of new to the gospel, but is still going and he's still doing the best that he can, and he's still trying to bring his friends to church, and he's still trying to just read the word and pursue God. He's so imperfect, and everyone knows it, but at least he's happy and trying, right? Right? Hallelujah. Yeah, Bailey. And, 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 and so he's trying, right? Obviously imperfect. Obviously flawed. Trying his hardest, right? Pursuing God clearly loves him. Who's better, him, him or the student or the businessman who has known Jesus in the Bible his entire life and is always critiquing the guy preaching because, he's, because he got some facts wrong while he's at his job or he's at his work. He's at his work, he's at his job, he's in class or whatever and he speaks to no one about Jesus. Right? So outwardly, this businessman or this uh, student, right, outwardly looks like he's got everything together, right? And he's grown up in church his entire life. He's always been an attender. He's always tithed. He's always come on time. He never misses church. He never misses a Wednesday night service or a Sunday morning service, right? And, and he's a perfect, perfect Christian on the outside, yet he goes into his workplace. He goes into whatever school he might attend goes into his family, and Jesus is never spoken of. Right? He has a temper, judgmental, always critiquing other people, right? Because they're not theologically sound, or they didn't get that point right, you know? Or the, or the man who's just like, do you know what? All I know is that I love Jesus and I'm jacked up, right? Right? Which do you think, when we, when we take a look at that passage in Jeremiah, where it says that I look at the heart, right? Where do we think, like, what do you think when God is looking at deeds, right? Where is God putting his favor, right? What is God looking at? This guy may be clean and polished, a Jew and circumcised. 
And this guy may look rough and rugged and just doesn't have it all together, kind of dirty and has a bad mouth, right? But at least he's being sanctified where he's at. God's looking at the heart, not outwardly. So here's the uncircumcised outwardly, but circumcised inwardly. And here's the circumcised outwardly, but uncircumcised inwardly. The Jew outwardly, the Gentile inwardly, the Gentile outwardly, the Jew inwardly. Is that making sense? God looks at the heart. It's not a batter. It's not a matter of who is better and who isn't. In Hebrews chapter 10, I'll close here. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25, it says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession with our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but engage, encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near. It's not a matter of I'm right and you're wrong. You know what I mean? When judging amongst Christians, it's not a matter of I'm right, you're wrong, you listen. It's not a matter of that. I'm right, you're wrong, you listen, I talk. That's not how it is. It's saying that together, together, looking at the cross, looking at Christ, saying, we're both in this mess. We're both in this mess. And by the looks of it, we can't get out. Praise be to God. Praise be to God that he by a new and living way has opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Praise the Lord that Christ hung on a cross for not just your sins, but mine. Right? Recognizing that. Recognizing that, that, that God, that God died for my sins, of course, right? Because I'm awesome, right? But he also died for that politician's sins that we despise, right? That he, and I love Pastor Rob's charge on, on Romans chapter 13 on Sunday. Wasn't that amazing? Where he said, just think about if we, are, are we praying? for our political leaders? Are we praying for them? Are we praying for them? We're so willing to judge them for a job that we could never do ourselves, right? But we never pray for them. At least that's me, right? Me sitting on my couch looking at the team, looking at Fox, and oh, yeah, if only I were president, you know? Like I know. Not saying, recognizing, of course, Jesus died for my sins, but when, when I'm judging people, right? When I'm looking at the sins of others, do I see them as people whom God loved so much that he saw fit to shed his son's blood? That coworker that 
just gets on your nerves and you love to judge, right? Right? That Christ hung on a cross for nine hours, was beaten and bloodied and nailed to a cross for that coworker you seem to never get along with? That that relative that you have, that you have totally disassociated yourself with because you just cannot handle them, realizing that God saw fit that they were worth the blood of the almighty creator. That they were worth that, right? And that should totally change our perspective. It, It should totally change our perspective when we look to judge others. Because do you know what? The Bible doesn't say that we shouldn't judge people, right? Because we ought to rightly judge, right? How else are we supposed to discern right from wrong? But, but constantly and continually in scripture, it tells us to be careful. That in the midst of judging other people, we may lose sight of our own, uh, our own shortcomings, Right? Lose sight of our own souls. And I'm, t- I'm telling you guys this. I'm, I'm a political science major, and I'm, I'm on all different types of newspapers continually, right? Or I'll get an F, right? And, and I'll, I'll tell you something. I, I judge just so harshly. Everyone on both camps, right? At this point in time, right? Uh, where we are in our nation now, I, I judge so much, right? It's nothing but judgment, really, when, when I'm looking at it. Never do I pray. Never do I look at, you know, you know what my dad said? You know, this is God speaks, so I feel comfortable talking about politics, you know. But uh, you know what my dad said? My dad said, do you know what? If, if Donald Trump is president, who says that he can't be the next King Nebuchadnezzar, right? The next King Nebuchadnezzar who ends up just falling down, like the most prideful man you could ever, you could ever imagine just falling down at the face of Jesus, right? Who says that can't happen, right? Who says that can't happen? Who says? Who says that your coworker? Who says that your family member, with the right amount of prayer and love, can't can't come to Jesus? Right? Can't come to Jesus. It's not about being right. It's about what it says right here. It says, "Not neglecting to meet together." Right? Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Stirring, stirring one another up. Do you know what that means? It means getting each other pumped up, right? It means, it means getting each other excited. Stirring one another up. It, it, it's, a, it's a term that they use uh, for, for athletics, right? Where, where they would get together with their teammates and they just stir one another up. Get each other stoked, right? Get each other pumped up because guess what? There is hope. There is hope. Let us stir one another to good works, right? Not kick each other into good works, not discipline each other into good works. That is the Lord's right and not yours. The Lord can rebu- the, the Lord is the one who disciplines. We are the ones who stir up one another to good works. That may require rebuking, that may require correcting, but all for the sake of stirring once again, one another up, bearing one another's burdens, right? Meaning, meaning that before I can judge somebody, right, I have given them a proper avenue in my life for them to speak into, right? That we've made it a two-way street there, right? That we built relationships, 
right? We built relationships, stirring one another up to good works, that we might have confidence, right? That we might have confidence. Guys, guys, Christ, Christ has opened up the door, right? Hallelujah, right? Christ has opened up the door. There's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing that Christ doesn't condemn us? So every single sin and shortcoming, right, is now just another roadblock to kind of the journey, right, towards Christ. It's all part of the sanctification process. How great that God has not only opened the doors of salvation, but also given us brothers and sisters around us to help stir us up and help us in the sanctification process. That he hasn't just given you a bunch of people and authority figures to just point out your sins, but he's given you brothers and sisters to help you, right? That he, that he hasn't just given you the Bible to beat upon other people's heads, but also to peer into your own heart, right? Isn't it great? Isn't it great? God is so good. And so as we leave, you know, I, I want us to be able to judge soberly. Judge soberly, making sure that we are pursuing Christ alongside one another. And as Paul would say uh, in 2 Corinthians, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, where he said, well, what good, what good is it judging people that are outside the church, right? They're, duh, you know, they're sinners, they're going to sin, right? But, but the people inside, we're allowed to judge because they're our brothers and sisters. Right? We're allowed to stir up one another. Right? Because any judgment that we cast upon one another is for the sake of mutual benefit and mutual pursuit of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for tonight, God. And Lord, I, uh, I pray that whatever was said of me, Lord, just be totally forgotten, God. But whatever was said of you, Lord, would be etched upon our hearts, Jesus. Oh, God, help me to not be so judgmental. God, um, Continually stir me up, Lord, in, in a pursuit of you and wanting to be closer to you, God. God, I pray for relationships in here, God, for those uh, people that are in quads or discipleship groups or just in really good friend groups, God, that stir each other up, Lord, to good works. I pray that we constantly surround ourselves with people to speak into our lives in such a way. But, but, but more than anything, Lord, I thank you that you have, you have decided to remove wrath. Lord, that any judgment that was due to us, you put on the cross. Lord, that any wrath that was supposed to be on our behalf was, was put onto Jesus and nailed on the cross to die. I pray that we would have the same mentality when looking at the sins of others, recognizing, oh, that needs to go to the cross. May we be stirring one another up to take our sins and nail them to the cross. May we be helping each other bear that burden, taking care of ourselves, making sure that we too do not fall into the same sin. Help us, Lord. Help us, Jesus. Help me. Lord, I'm so judgmental all the time. Help me to be pursuing you in the right manner and then help others pursue you in the same. We love you and we give you this night, Lord. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.